Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 20-year breast cancer survivor. I'm also a professional speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Well, Sharon, doggone her, is out of town this week. Uh, She went on a cruise and she's heading into like 80-degree weather and leaving us here in Oregon with about 40-degree weather. So we're all very envious. But I do have a guest co-host who is Yvonne Neidiger. And Yvonne is a beautiful, wonderful lady that has been a part of Breast Friends now for some time, first as a patient and then as a volunteer, and now she works with us as our volunteer court, or not volunteer coordinator. What do you do? Patient <laughs> coordinator. <laughs> I'm kind of chief cook and bottle wash. Yeah. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about something that comes up frequently. You know, I speak around the country quite a bit at various cancer events, and people always come up to me afterwards, and they ask me, what should I say to my friend who's going through cancer? And we're going to talk about that. You know, we all want to do the right thing, but unless you've been through this before, you may be wondering, what is the right thing? You know, one of the things we constantly hear is, I'm afraid to say the wrong three. You're kind of darned if you do and darned if you don't in these situations. Boy, no kidding. Man, and oftentimes people avoid saying anything at all rather than say the wrong thing. You know, and in an attempt to relate or share a common experience, sometimes things get said that cause more harm than good. Today we're going to want to share some tips on what to say and do as well as what not to say and do. So we have an amazing guest with us, Stephanie Hansen. Stephanie wrote an article that we somehow came across on LinkedIn or somewhere or another, and it was so powerful that we decided to share it on our Breast Friends Facebook page. That was then that I kind of reached out to Stephanie to see if she would agree to be on our show. And yay, she yay. agreed, and it's the last <laughs> show of the year, so having somebody say yes on a holiday weekend is pretty awesome. So <laughs> Stephanie is also the co-host of a show in Minneapolis. It's a radio program on My Talk 107.1. It's a 10-year-old food show called The Weekly Dish. Oh, and Stephanie, I'm a foodie, so (laughs) we have to talk after the show. (laughs) (laughs) And Stephanie is also a cancer survivor, and she has just tremendous insight into this topic. So welcome, Stephanie. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited. Why don't you take a minute and just kind of introduce yourself to the audience, maybe tell us a little bit about your story, and then we'll get right into the heart of what we want to talk about. Why don't you do that? Absolutely. So I am a broadcaster and a a journalist and an English major prior to that, but I uh, was, uh, my mother had been diagnosed with breast cancer, and I remembered when when she got diagnosed, everyone was like, oh, that's the... That's the treatable cancer. That's the good kind of cancer to have. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> right, it is. Everybody that has breast cancer is fine. And my mom went uh-huh. through her bout of cancer. She ended up recurring a few years later, and she ended up, unfortunately, dying. And uh-huh. that was kind of the, the end of that cancer chapter, right? <laughs> Until... Yep. Um, about a year later, I found a lump in my armpit, and at that time, I had been getting, uh, I'd been doing surveillance, and I did not have the breast cancer gene, and I found out I had stage three cancer, breast cancer. Oh man! Oh my goodness! That's the kind yeah. I had too. Stage Me three. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, and oh, I was we're all here. 40, 
I was 42 when I was diagnosed. Okay. And yeah. again, everybody was like, oh, well, you know, oh, because your mom died of breast cancer. That's probably why you have cancer. And I, it, People become it, doctors, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do. And then I found out that not only did my mom die of breast cancer, but probably my grandmother had that I did not know because she had died in her mid-50s of a female cancer, in air quotes, because I always just called it female cancer in the day. Yeah, they didn't talk about it so much back then, did they? No, and all of a sudden I was sort of thrust into, okay, I'm a 42-year-old woman, I have a small child, I have breast cancer, and my mother has just died of it. So I knew right away that it was pretty serious. All of the women in my... I only have women in my family. We all have girls. I only have sisters. Um, So it just put me into this arena of being a cancer patient. I was a public figure. I had a radio show. I was running a small business at the time. And I didn't, I kind of struggled with, you know, can I do this in secret? And I wasn't a very secretive person. So I just, <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah, I sort of just, I, I bought a wig, but I never wore it. I just, I kind of lived it all out loud. Yeah, and I, I hear you. Boy, you must have been really scared. I mean, I can't even imagine getting it. I mean, my, I found out my grandma and my aunt and all of them had cancer, but I didn't know that until way after my diagnosis. And when they were saying, so do you have a family history? I had no family history, I thought. Yeah, so, and then when I found out, it's like, oh, so I went in for BRCA testing too, and it was negative. But it must have been really frightening for you to have just lost your mom and then go through all that. Wow. Yeah, it was. Um, and just... You know, I owned a, a business. I had 38 employees. Oh, my gosh. I, again, I was really just like, oh, okay, how am I going to get through this? And in some ways, my mom's illness informed mine because everywhere my mom turned right, I kind of hard left. Sure. So okay. I had a double mastectomy. I had really aggressive treatment. Anything that could be given to me, I took it. Um my mom had, you know, kind of done different types of treatment. I took a lot of alternative therapies, too. I did acupuncture. I got massage. I, I just really tried to embrace it and do everything I could to live. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough thing, but it's how, now, <clears throat> excuse me, may I ask how long ago that was? Yeah, six years. Six years, and you're doing good now? Yeah, I am. Awesome. Um, I, awesome. I'm still on an aromatase inhibitor. I've been on that. Um, it's been Me too. Oh, we all had a hot flash together this morning before we started, right? Yeah. Get it out of the way. Yeah, I've been on, let's see, my, my journey started 20 years ago and they put me on tamoxifen and then I switched to like, I'm on my fourth version and my doctor says, you know, it seems to be working. So we're going to just keep me on it probably for the rest of my life. But yeah, it's it that's that's tough. And I was diagnosed at forty three, so I can feel you there too, girl. <laughs> so. Yeah, and there's a lot of um, it seems like more now openness to talk about some of the effects of a not only having cancer but some of the treatment effects. And so I've been someone that people will reach out to on Facebook because of the radio um, personality and be like, "Oh, Good. I just got diagnosed. Do you have any thoughts?" And so I've been just someone that has shared my experience and tried to help others through theirs. Excellent. Well, Stephanie, let's just jump right into what we want to talk about today because this is a big topic and 
Um, you in your article, one of the things I really loved about your article that you wrote that we reprinted without your permission. I apologize for that. But it was <laughs> we figured it was in a public format. It was probably okay. Um, you talked about the levels of friendship and how different people. There's kind of different expectations for people if they're a level one friend, a level two friend, a level three friend. We have about 10 minutes before we go to our first break. Would you just kind of cover what the what you mean by level one, level two, level three? Because I thought it was fascinating. Sure. So a lot of us have different cycles of our life, right? We might be in a running group. We might be in a mom's club. We might be employees at a company. We might have in-laws. So all of these people that you interact with in your life are at various levels of need-to-know basis, Right. So you may tell your running group certain things that you would never tell the kids in your friend's school or your kid's school. So I just, I think about friends as sort of, are you a level one friend, a level two friend, or a level three friend? And a level one friend uh, is someone that you see this person daily, you're in their core group. You discuss personal issues. You might discuss things about your marriage or your children. It's a very intimate friendship, and that's that would be me and Yvonne. (laughs) We're smiling at each other right now, pointing at each other. We're level one friends. Level one. Level one. Like some people have a lot of level one friends. I'm actually fortunate enough to have a group of, gosh, I would say probably about six. Other people, it, it might only be one person who's a level one friend. Um, so that's your, your core group. Then if you go the tentacles a little bit further out, you have your level two friends. And these are people that you might invite to a birthday party. You may go out to dinner with them occasionally. You might be in a book club, possibly coworkers, um, people that you spend a lot of time with that would be defined as a level two friend. So you may share some personal stuff with them, but they're not going to be your first stop. And then, of course, we have the level three friends. And these would be maybe people at your church or friends of friends, an office acquaintance, people that would say they know you, but that you're not necessarily sharing your intimate details, people maybe that you volunteer with. Okay. So depending on the level of friendship that you have with this person, in my article here and the way I've sort of thought about this is that that would dictate how you would interact with the person once they tell you that they have cancer or you hear that they have cancer. Ultimately, I think everybody has good hearts and they want to do the right thing and they want to say the right thing and nobody wants to say the wrong thing. So having this level one, two, or three filter, I think helps you determine which way to go in your response to someone's diagnosis. Okay, that all makes that makes really good sense. Um, you know, one of the things that we want to talk about this morning is, you know, some of the things that people kind of say naturally, mm-hmm. but probably not as helpful as they think. And, you know, and again, it probably the response pro- probably depends on whether you're level one, two or three. But I always my favorite one is kind of the most natural thing to say. And that is, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. You know, and how many of us have had that said to us by people in all these groups? Because, you know, they, like you said, everyone wants to do something, but they don't want to do the wrong thing. So they, they say that, and it sounds helpful, but I don't know about your experience, Stephanie, but what I found in that is, you know, I would say, oh, thank you, you know, I'll let you know if I need anything, mm-hmm. but 
then I won't. And so they'll think I'm okay because I haven't called. And I know this firsthand because I did that exact same thing to my friend Sharon. I said, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. She was diagnosed three years before me. And she said with her happy little smiley face and her (laughs) big laugh that she has, she goes, oh, thanks, I will. And she didn't. And I kept thinking she must be okay. But I didn't think about the fact that during the day her husband was at work, her kids were at school, and Sharon spent a lot of time alone. And that's when she needed support. She needed someone to call her because that alone time is really frightening. And there's nothing wrong with the words. You know, let me know if there's anything I can do to help, but don't leave it there. you got to follow through. Yeah. So, Yvonne, what, what was your experience with that? Well, you know, and I think that's exactly what you just said. Um, I am have always been a very competent woman, and uh, probably the woman, if there was an issue with any of my friends, I was the first one to be there. Yes, but you were I, there for me <laughs> when I, later. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think everyone assumes that as as women, especially women that are very, you know, powerful, whether in our jobs, in our personalities, you know, we our dynamics that we project tend to follow us into this disease and unfortunately we're still projecting that image that I can handle this I'm fine when in fact we're really spending a lot of energy and time making sure the people around us are okay yeah isn't that you know, true it's just amazing how many times um, I would tell someone you know oh thanks I'm doing fine just because I didn't want them to worry if I were to say to them you know I'm doing terrible and I could really use your help I knew the stress I was putting on their mm-hmm. shoulders so yeah. you know as a caretaker myself it was hard for me to release that that energy out into the the community one two or three it was really hard to let those people in my world know that I really needed them. So I love the idea of, you know, letting people know around you that that they have to take action, not just say the words. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard. Stephanie, do you have any, did you have any experience with people saying that to you? Yeah. um, That they would say things and I would know their hearts were good and that they were trying to help. But I think something that I didn't realize when I first got diagnosed was how long I was going to be in treatment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you find out someone has breast cancer, it's a very acute, it's very immediate, and the, it's, everyone is shocked. And then two weeks later, you know, you're on to the next social media or the next news story, and yet there you are, like, at that mm-hmm. point as the cancer patient, you're just getting started on your course of treatment. And for most yeah. of us, it could be anywhere from 18 to 24 months of literally active treatment. Yeah. And yeah, and, so, our, and like you said, the people are there in the beginning, and then and then they kind of sometimes disappear after they that. Off. Yeah, we have yeah. fans. It's not <laughs> a it's not a personal character flaw of anybody's. We just we yep. kind of move on to the next thing, and life has a way yep. of doing that. Um, yeah, and you said you'd call me if you need me, and you didn't, so you must not need me. <laughs> you know, so it's easy to make that assumption too, right? And I think too, as women, we don't. I can speak for myself, and I think this is more common of women I know. It's hard for us to ask for help. It is. It is. And you're not conditioned to ask for help. You're conditioned to do it all, right? You're conditioned to, I can bring all the bacon, fry it up in the pan, and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, exactly. Exactly. So we, we kind of, people just assume, since we're not asking, we're okay. You know, before we go to break, which is in just a couple of minutes, I had just, I have like three things that people say that I'd like to just kind of put out there, and then we can discuss it on the other side of the break. Um, So we already talked about the first one. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help, and then dropping it when they don't call you back. Um, Another thing not to say is, 
you know, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. My mom or my sister or my friend, somebody had cancer and they died. You know, that's not what a newly diagnosed cancer patient wants to hear. And it's amazing how many people feel compelled to say those words. Mm-hmm. I actually got on my soapbox and did a rant online <laughs> about this very issue, which we'll talk about in the next segment. But yeah, yeah it's amazing what people think it's okay to say out of their mouth. <laughs> and it's not, it's just because they're trying to relate. Yeah. They're yeah, trying exactly. to come up with something that makes them feel like they're relating, but it's not helpful. Another one is, I know how you feel. Mm. Well, unless you had cancer in exactly my circumstance because you know even cancer patients sure. don't experience the same thing so to say I know how you feel is do you do you really know how I feel yeah. you probably don't so and then I love this one a man said this one to me one day and it almost I almost wanted to punch him <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't <laughs> I know he says nobody dies of breast cancer anymore you kind of like what was said to you um, nobody dies of breast cancer anymore, or they'll say, oh, you know, you're going to be fine. Who knows that? Yeah. You know, people do die of breast cancer, sadly. More people survive than ever before, which is really good news because of all their research and the trials and things that they're doing. But to say that almost invalidates the feeling because when you're in the midst of that, you're scared. Yeah. And when somebody says that to you, I know what they're trying to say. They're trying to make it okay. But you're not feeling okay. So to say that is just it really invalidates the fear that you have. And, um, and and that's, I don't think that's cool. And I think I, the, the word fine should be yeah. outlawed. <laughs> yeah. And then there's one last one here. Um, don't second guess or disparage the doctor or the treatment. So, mm-hmm. you know, when they're sharing with you what they're going through, to say something like, well, I wonder why your doctor's doing that. That's stupid because my friend went through it and here's what she did. You know, every cancer is different, right? (laughs) People. (laughs) So these are things not to say, and we're going to go out to break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what you can say. And some of these can be said if they're done differently. So so we're going to take a short break. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 
1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about cancer do's and don'ts with our guest, Stephanie Hansen. And gosh, I tell you, you know, we just talked about a lot of the don'ts. And I think one thing we want to make really clear is that, you know, people are, they're not trained in how to handle a friend who has cancer. And part of what we're doing is offering um, tips and handy, handy thoughts. So people stop and think before they talk. I, I think that was the thing I noticed. And I don't know about you, Dr. Stephanie, but this was one of those things that I was constantly thinking if people would just take a moment, take a breath and think about what they're saying before they say it out loud, uh, there would be a lot less problems. But let's move on to things that are that are actually do's. What are some things that you felt were really wonderful things that people can, can talk about with a patient that's been diagnosed? Uh, for me, again, I think knowing kind of what your level is sort of sets the, the momentum and the intention. So when you're really in that inner sphere, the ability to listen without judgment or the need to step in and solve problems is really helpful. Oh, that's so good. true. People so what does that look like? Say, well, what I, what I think happens sometimes is you do want to talk. You do want to share your feelings of fear, frustration, anxiety, terror, but you may be not comfortable to do that with your spouse or a sister because you're concerned about their feelings at the same time. So a level one friend is really critical to being able to be honest and share your fears and being able to get some feedback but not have it necessarily be an immediate loved one. I think that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that oh. people are thinking about how the other close people in their lives are going to react to these things. And if you can be a neutral person. So going for a cup of coffee or a walk. And then I think what happens, too, is people fall off because the drama of the initial diagnosis ends and people go back to their lives and they see you doing what is, air quotes, fine. But I had a couple friends that would do weekly emails. They would always say, you don't need to respond. I'm just checking in with you, seeing how you're doing. I had another friend that sent me a funny card every week. and. It was really like that funny card. I got that card for two years. It was <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. You know, that triggers a quick story, and then I know Yvonne has one, too. When I, was, um, when I went through my diagnosis, Sharon and I worked at the same company, and she, what, she got my permission, and then she, was, she sent out emails to people to tell them kind of my update of what was going on because kind of like you, I was very, very public about what I was experiencing. And my team, I, I was on a sales team. My team, one of my teammates went out and bought about, I don't know, a whole giant stack of funny get well cards, you know, hurry back, we miss you kind of cards. She had the entire team sit down and sign every card she addressed every card and she put a stamp on every card. And then every two days she dropped one in the mail. Oh. So I'd go out to my mailbox and there'd be a message from my team saying, we miss you, you know. And it's like, wow, because one of the biggest fears I had was that I was going to, you know, be doing this and the world would go on without me and nobody would care or miss me. And right. when you do that, you know that you're missed. And, you know, I didn't know she, they did them all at once. She didn't tell me till <laughs> way after the fact. But, you know, it was pretty awesome to get that card every day. So, um, so yeah, just not leaving and not disappearing on people kind of reminds me of a funeral. They're there, somebody dies, they're there for the funeral, 
and the potluck afterwards, and then they disappear. And that's when the person really needs your support. So, Well, you know, and I had a, a situation with what I would consider the, the ultimate level one friend, which was my husband. Um, and I do think it, it holds true to anyone that's in that inner circle. Uh, when I was especially first diagnosed, I would have moments, you know, we all have them where you just literally dissolve into a puddle of tears and you know you're sure that you're going to die and you're sure that everything horrible is going to happen and you're so scared and the first thing that my husband would want to do in those circumstances was resort resort back to his you know normal characteristic which was to try to fix me and he would sit there and he would say it's okay honey it's okay and we would you know I would make myself go oh all right yeah you're right it's going to be okay it's going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. But I wasn't getting what I needed. He was doing what he needed to do. And it wasn't until, oh gosh, weeks later, I, we were having a good day. And he asked me, hey, what can I do to help you? And I said, you know, honey, if I have a moment and I'm like a puddling pool of tears and sobbing and that ugly cry, let me do it and just hang on to me and let me have mm. that cry. And I will feel so much better. And I, I told him it's a little bit like steam building up inside of your body. And if you don't release that steam, I told him steam in me comes out in the form <laughs> of tears. So think of those tears as steam. And do you know, it's been now six years since my cancer diagnosis. And I still have moments where I will, something will catch me and I'll have a good cry. And he will just sit there and hold me, tell me he loves me. And, you know, as a friend, whether it's a, a spouse or someone else in that number one circle, you can really learn from the fact that let that person feel that fear. Let that person feel that um, sense of, you know, I'm scared without having to say, oh, I know I'm going to be fine. It, it made a huge difference for me. So it's kind of like giving them permission to say nothing. I mean, maybe yeah. that sometimes that's the best thing is just don't say anything at all. Just just hold. Just let me drip all over you. <laughs> the other weird thing I think that happens in this situation is cancer, it, it starts and then you're in treatment and then there's ramifications that happen, happen after you've been in treatment. And so your peers and your people around you, everyone's kind of marching on with their life. And in some respects, you get left behind with all this collateral damage of what do I do with all these feelings? How do I feel them? How do I, you know, your mortality is staring you right in the face. That's something that if it hasn't happened to you, it's really hard to figure out where to put all of that. So oh, no kidding. Yeah. having these people, whether they're a level one, two, or three friend, you know, stand the test of time is important, too. Like, I can still have conversations with friends that are very intimate conversations about the longevity of my life, to be honest with you, that I don't necessarily have now with my level one people anymore because I want to talk about it, but I don't want it to be that close, if that makes sense. It does, so yeah. being able to kind of talk objectively in like the second person about what has happened to me, because it's in the past, but it's still happening, and putting that in its rightful place moving forward and how to deal with those emotions and process them, because everybody in your life is sort of like, well, you're fine now, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a real life-changing thing. It is. It is. And people think when you're done with treatment, like the last mm-hmm. day of treatment, that it's all Ooh. over now. That's what's for dinner. <laughs> yep. I don't know, you know. So, yeah. And for so a lot of patients, 
in fact, for me too, that day that I finished my radiation, because I'd had, uh, I had chemo, then I had radiation. That day I finished radiation, I was putting food in the refrigerator and my daughter said something kind of like, oh, you didn't get the blah, blah, blah. And I just started throwing packaged meat into the refrigerator. <laughs> I just, I absolutely, that was the day that I actually started kind of feeling almost. Because yeah. I had just been oh. working so hard on being well. Yeah. And that's that happens. You know, we kind of have our little checklist of things like chemo check, radiation check until you get done. And and then you then that's when a lot of us do process it, just like you just said. So so let's spend a few minutes and talk about some of the things that that are helpful to say. And going back to um, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do. Mm-hmm. First off, I do want to say to that, and this is going to go back to a don't again, and I actually kind of meant to say this because we came back from break and I forgot what I was going to re- re-approach. Chemo but brain. Chemo brain. So when you say to somebody, let me know if there's anything I can do to help, first off, don't say it unless you mean it mm-hmm. because most of, most of us will not follow through with that and say, okay, I will, and then actually call you. But occasionally somebody may be brave enough and call and say, you know, Stephanie, you said you'd help me out if I needed you, and I really need someone to go to the store and pick up my prescription. I don't have the energy to do it today. Is that possible? And Stephanie says, oh, no, I'm sorry. I can't help you. I'm busy. You know, so don't say it unless you mean it. But what you could say if you really can't do it right then is you can say, you know what, I can't go pick it up right this minute, but I could do it at 3 o'clock. Does, would that work for you? And if it doesn't work, just say, let me see if I can find someone to go do that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so, again, don't say that unless you mean it, because if, you, if she reaches out to you and you kind of push back, she'll never ask again, probably anybody. She probably won't ask anybody again. So that's a real key thing is, you know, don't say it unless you mean it. But if you do say it, then follow up. Call sure. back a week later and say, hey, I was just thinking about you. I just wanted to, you know, check in with you. And how are you feeling today? And just, you know, have that conversation. I do um, like the speaking in the affirmative. So mm-hmm. instead of asking or, you know, if there's anything I can do for you, something like, I can pick up an extra day in the carpool. I'm going to do Wednesday and Thursday this, this week if that works for you. Or awesome. I'm going yeah. to bring you over some food. I'll leave yeah. it on your porch at 1 o'clock. I'll yeah. mow your lawn. If you, yes. if you don't need me to do it, let me know. So mm. you almost Beautiful. just assume the assumptive close. This is yep. what I'm going to do. <laughs> this is when I'm going to do it. And then you rely on that person to say no if, if you shouldn't do it. Because it's a lot of years just say, oh, no, I don't need that versus mm-hmm. come up with what you do need. Does that make sense? Right. It totally oh, makes sense. It's kind of like my, my husband's cousin called me one day and she said, Becky, um, I'd like to come over and visit with you in about an hour. Would that work? And I said to her, I said, you know, I, I would love to have you come visit, but my house is really dirty. And, you, and she goes, you know what? I'm not coming to see your house. I'm coming to see you. So she didn't, she asked for permission to come over. But what she did when she got to my house was pretty awesome. She shows up at my door with a bucket full of cleaning supplies and some oh. rubber gloves because now she knows my house is dirty and I'm concerned about it. And she says, okay, I'm here to clean your house. Oh. You can either take a nap or you can help me or you can sit and visit, whatever you want to do. And I'm thinking, wow, I can sleep when I'm dead. So I think I'll just sit and visit, <laughs> you know. And her energy, she put the CD, she had CDs and she put them on. Oh. And she was cleaning and scrubbing my kitchen. And 
her energy was contagious and all of a sudden I got up and did some couple things too. But to go to back to your point, Stephanie, if she'd called me and said, can I come and clean your house? Of I would no. have said, oh, that's so sweet, but I'm fine. Thank you. Absolutely. And then I would have kicked myself in the butt afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> turning down a great thing, offer. Like, hey, uh, can I help you get a cleaning service to get your house cleaned? The answer yeah. to that would also be no, most likely. Right. Because you'd just be like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be up for it. I don't know when they're going to come. I have all these appointments to schedule. Versus if they said, I've scheduled a cleaning person to come to your house on Friday at 2 o'clock to give you four hours of cleaning, would that work for you? Yeah. Now yeah. it's just a time decision. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the... Because the other part's already done. So, yeah, that's that's awesome. So um, another couple things to that you can say, you know, when you initially hear that somebody has cancer, um, there's a couple things here. And, Yvonne, I think you've got a couple on yeah, your list. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I love that I'm so sorry this happened to you because – you know, there's there's a certain amount of, of, yeah, we do have to process the fact that this has happened to us. And to have empathy, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a beautiful thing. And to not follow that up with the, boy, but you know what, my, my great aunt yeah. had cancer <laughs> and, and she died. Yeah. You know, it, it, again, it's, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, she's it's, still here. It's you just, know? you know, just that you're sorry that this happened and that I have no idea what you're feeling. You know, don't try to think that for one second you can walk in a cancer patient's shoes if you haven't been there. I I don't care what trauma you've been through in your life. It's a whole different world. And, you know, we are a sisterhood and we get each other. So if someone's been through cancer, they're obviously going to have an opportunity to really share, you know, some positive, encouraging thoughts. But if they aren't part of the sisterhood, uh, you're never going to really understand what having a bilateral mm-hmm. mastectomy means. It's mm-hmm. it's not something that someone else can go, boy, I get that. It's like, yeah. no, you yeah. don't. <laughs> so to say, you know, I have no idea what you're feeling, but because I've never been there, but I imagine it's probably pretty scary because I think if it happened yeah. to me, I'd be pretty scared. It's okay to say that. You know, it's better to say that, which is honest, than to say I know how you feel. Yeah. Because you had some trauma that happened to you, you know, a long time ago. So, you know, that's okay. Another thing I think a lot of women, a lot of us, I mean, people in general, we try to find something that we did wrong that caused this. Mm. And yeah. it's okay to say, you know what, cancer doesn't discriminate. This is not your fault. Yeah. You know, it's not something that you did to yourself that caused this. And even though we're trying to find a reason, you know, that we can justify um, it, it's. I think it's okay to say that too. Stephanie, what's I your thought a, on that? I had a doctor that said something that I still, it's very powerful and I tell people it all the time. She said, look, cancer is bad genes, bad luck, or a combination of the two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She said, or bad genes, bad luck, or a combination of the two. So, because, you know, people would say to me, well, you eat so healthy. How, yeah. how did you get cancer? <laughs> you eat organic meat. I was like, yeah, but see, it's I have either bad genes, bad luck, or a combination of the two, and it can be bad environment, too. Sometimes True. it's just a combination of what genes get turned on, right, by what you've yeah. been exposed to. And these aren't things that are knowable in most cases. Um, so saying, like, did, your, did you have breast cancer gene? That's a, that's a very common question I hear a lot now since the whole Angelina Jolie situation. Mm, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. did you have the breast cancer gene? The reason they're asking is because they're trying to comfort themselves that they're yeah, yeah. somehow less because they don't have the gene. When you tell them, no, I didn't, they're like, oh, God, they don't know yeah. where to go with that. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, the one thing about Angelina Jolie, we have known many women who have made that same choice, but it took somebody like her, who's a celebrity, to bring it to the limelight. And um, she's not the only, I mean, I know she was labeled a hero for that, and it's awesome that she did what she did, and she was vocal about it, but there have been a lot of women who've made that same mm-hmm. that same decision way before she ever did, so there's a lot of heroes who kind of paved that that way for that conversation. But Doesn't it kind of, this is maybe a little of a feminist statement, but doesn't it, when you think about that, that these women with this breast cancer gene decided that they were going to prophylactically remove a breast so that they wouldn't end up developing breast cancer, mm-hmm. I just can't help but thinking, like, if this was happening to men and they had to yeah. cut off their, you know what, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wouldn't we have, like, some better system? Some, yeah. Like, we'd have all this money, we'd have all this attention, and, and yet it's like, oh, well, good for Angelina Jolie to encourage so many of these women to prophylactically remove their breasts. That's so amazing. No, it's not amazing. It's not amazing that we haven't found a way to stop having this happen to women. That would be amazing. That would be. You are absolutely right, and I retract what I said. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a different way of looking at it. Yeah, it is. We're so grateful for a test that can give us some choices, and that is part of our journey towards the cure. But let's keep the cure in mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So there's another, just two more things and then we're going to go out to a break. Um, you know, that one thing you can say to a patient is, you know, rather than talking about somebody who died, you can say, you know, they are getting better all the time with treatment. More women survive than ever before. That's encouraging. Yeah. And, um, but again, when you're talking to the patient, she doesn't know. I mean, a certain percentage of women will not survive this. And it, and when you're first diagnosed, when I was diagnosed my third time with breast cancer, they called it consistent with metastatic disease because I'd already had both of my breasts removed in 2004. And then in 2009, we found it behind my, my breastbone near my chest wall. For, reverse that. Behind my, <laughs> whatever. It was really deep down deep. inside there. And they found it and they called it consistent with metastatic disease. And you know, that was really kind of frightening for me, but um, with all the radiation that we did, and now I'm, they can't find any evidence of cancer at all. So, there, you know, there is hope there, and we need to find that hope. But when I went through that, I was scared to death. I had no idea if I was going to live or die. And when you're first diagnosed, the first place we tend to go to is, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Yeah. And, you know, so to encourage women that most women survive this. They don't all, but most do. I think that's an encouraging thing to say. We have to go out to break. So we will be back. We really want to encourage people to call if you have a story to talk about. We're going to talk about more things to do rather than just to say. Um, So call us at 866-472-5792, and we'll be back in a minute. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? 
it's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been talking about cancer do's and don'ts with our guest, Stephanie Hansen. And during the break, we had a lively conversation <laughs> about something, um, you know, earlier, just in this last segment, we talked a little bit about Angelina Jolie and what she did and, and how if it was, you know, the male counterpart of all of that, things would be a little different. And it reminded me a couple weeks ago, we had a show on breast seeding, which is a procedure for radiation where they actually implant breast seeds. And it's kind of new into the breast cancer arena, but it's like an hour long procedure and you do it once. And and they we found out during that show that they've been actually doing that for prostate cancer for 30 years. Very what awesome. the heck? <laughs> what the heck took so long to get it into the breast cancer arena? You know, it, it just makes no sense. It it's just kind of supports what Stephanie said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna go. We're gonna switch topics a little bit, and we've kind of covered some of these things. But we're gonna talk about what we've talked about mostly what to say, what not to say. But now we'd like to talk a little bit about what to do. So, Stephanie, why don't you share a couple things about what people... I know you already shared a couple things, but um, if you have some other things people can do during the journey, that would be awesome. So, why don't we talk about that? I think um, if you are kind of on the periphery, so let's say we've talked about these level one, two, and three friends. Let's say you're a level Mm -hmm. three friend. So, you're a coworker, you are a friend of a friend, but you're not really on the inside circle. You're not even Mm -hmm. on the second tier circle. I do think okay. this is where participating in things like runs and walks and fundraisers yeah. um, and donations really can be helpful and impactful. It's very, um, I had a lot of people that did a breast cancer walk here in my honor. They put my name on their shirt. Oh. They sent me a picture with my name on Absolutely. their shirt. That really meant a lot to me that somebody yeah. took time out of their day that a lot of these people I didn't know personally, and they contributed to the cause in a way that felt supportive to me. And I didn't have to do anything for them. Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. You know, that, that brings back a couple of memories. My, my first race for the cure that I ever did when I, I didn't run, I walked, but um, I did it when I was going right in the, I was right in the heat of treatment my first time around and I was bald headed and joining that race, I joined a team that, you know, from work. And I, when I saw my name on the back of everybody's yeah. shirt running in honor, you know, in honor of Becky Olson, it's like, 
wow, I just, that just brought me to tears. And then I had a friend who did the race down in San Diego and she sent me her little placard afterwards that she did it in my honor. And I was, so yeah, you're right. I mean, that just warms the heart because it lets you know people are thinking of you and um, it's pretty, pretty amazing. So that's a good one. Yeah. What else you got, Stephanie? Um, Another one that I think is, you have a lot of downtime when you're in treatment, whether you're just not feeling great uh, and you don't have a lot of attention span, right? Something happens, I think, when you get chemo <laughs> that impacts your yeah. ability to focus. Yes, So indeed. I had a friend that made me a stack of DVDs of their favorite movies. They didn't expect them back. They didn't loan them to me. They just handed them to me and said, these are some of my favorite movies. Maybe when you need a break, you'll watch one. You could do the same oh. thing now, too, with creating like a Netflix or an Amazon Prime mm-hmm. list of shows that you've enjoyed that maybe they would like or they hadn't thought of. There's some binge watching that can happen when you're waiting for treatment <laughs> or you're sitting in the chemo chair, right? That's pretty thoughtful. Yeah, that's very thoughtful. You know, I, I had a friend named Patty who, um, I love Patty. She has she did so many amazing things for me. But one of the things that we did every Friday um, we we would pull, go pull out the local newspaper and look for the whatever shows were playing. And she called me every single Friday morning without fail and said, okay, so what movie do you want to go see today? And it was up to me to decide if I wanted to go or not. Right. And right. so she was always okay either way. But we would agree if, if I was having a good day, I would say, let's go see this movie. And we'd go at the first opening at noon. We'd get there a little bit early, grab our popcorn and sit in the theater Aww. when it was kind of empty, and I could talk about what I was going through or not. It was completely up to me. Oh. And But the thing that was so cool about that was I had something positive and fun to look forward yeah. to every week that I knew I was going to do if I wanted to. And there were some times I just didn't feel up to it, and she'd go, no problem. And so she was okay with that. But that just giving me that that sense that, you know, we had something fun to do, and it's just something to look forward to that, it's helpful. So I had um, a friend that would do pedicures and manicures. She would just come uh, over to my house with her kit. Oh, Sometimes she, just the act of her and I sitting there and her rubbing lotion into my hands, oh, you know, yeah. it felt so good. And it was such a kind, warm, nice thing to do as a, my, as a friend of mine. I've never forgotten that she came over and she did that for me multiple times. My sister is an esthetician, and so, you know, at certain times during treatment, you don't necessarily want to have a lot of things just because of the scents and all that put on your body, but she would come over, and she would just bring some really gentle lotions, and she just would rub my hands, and I don't think people understand the power of touch, um, especially in a circumstance like cancer, and, you know, just to go to your friend and say, can I rub your hands? That's less invasive than can I give you a back rub or, you know, even right. rubbing their feet. They may not be comfortable having someone rub their feet. But to just have someone sit and just quietly rub your hand and your arms, I, I it's the most amazing thing Okay, when we're ever. off the air, Yvonne, I'm I got some lotion in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a moment here. <laughs> no, I agree. That, you know, that sense of touch because yeah. you're feeling, you know, when you lose your breasts and you go through all this, you feel so violated. And to have somebody caress you gently like that, oh. it's just, it's a wonderful thing. And their therapy has discovered that the power of massage therapy, any of the tactile therapies, 
facials, pedicures, manicures. It doesn't have to be a full-on massage, but giving a cancer patient one of those types of treatments, you know, could make the difference in their day just mm-hmm. going from really crappy to yeah. really wonderful. So, yeah. One piece of advice, before you buy somebody a massage certificate, make sure that's something that they enjoy and appreciate. Yeah. Um, because I don't, personally, for me, I'm not a massage kind of person because I can never relax enough yeah. to enjoy it. Um, but for those who do, but I love the touching the hands. Yeah, and, you know, just non-invasive. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. it's, it's a, a great way to, to show you care. Yeah. Another thing that happened one time again with my friend Patty, who, uh, again, is awesome. Um, I was have my, we wanted to go camping as a family. My husband was, had booked us a spot and we were going to go do this thing. And I was in the midst of treatment and I'm one of these campers. I have to be completely organized. Like cooler has to be filled with the exact right <laughs> things. We could camp together. Yeah. He's, he's the guy that just throws whatever's in the refrigerator. And if you don't have enough, oh, well, you know, but I'm, I have to be organized with this. And I was having one of those meltdowns and Patty just out of the blue called me for some reason and just to check on me. And she heard me crying and she said, what's wrong? And I said, we're supposed to go camping tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. And she goes, okay. What's on your list? Tell me what's on your list, your grocery list. So I said, no, I'm fine. She goes, you're not fine. What's on your grocery list? So she took my list of everything, and she said, you can pay me when I get there. She went to the grocery store, picked up everything that was on my list, brought it to my house. Not only did she do that, but she helped get the cooler out. She helped me pack that stupid thing. And then I paid her, gave her a check, you know, because not everyone can, you know, some people might gift that, and so... Sure. Or feel that they have to. So the way you handle that diplomatically is you say, I'm going to run to the grocery store. I'm picking up some things for you. You can pay me when I get there so that there's no doubt, you know, what's going on right. there. But because um, that could be awkward otherwise. Um, but she put it all together for me. And then she gave me a big hug and told me to enjoy our camping trip. Uh. And I have never forgotten that. I reminded her of that and she'd forgotten it. Oh. <laughs> you know? That's just how natural it was for her to just be helpful like that. So, yeah. Um, you know, and to and just like to your point, don't ask if you can go to the store and pick up your stuff. Yeah. I'm going to the store. What's on your list? You know, <laughs> and um, I I thought that was really helpful. So, um, so what else you got, Stephanie? I know you got more things. Oh, I think um, doing things like um, blanket. I I had a friend that made me a fleece blanket that was smaller than like a bed blanket, but larger than a baby blanket that I could take with me when I went to chemo. Oh, yeah. Um, And it was really, it was really sweet. It was like the perfect size for laying in that chair, but Mm -hmm. not so much that I was just, because you have so many things when you're going into a chemo treatment, right? You've got like your bags of stuff and you maybe have snacks or whatever you have, but I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, that is that was amazing. We have a, a young man that we met named Matt Ferguson, mm-hmm. and he developed he created a program called Matt's Chemo Bags. And what happened was when his mom went through cancer, and he was like fifteen or something, and somebody gave her one of those, kind of like what you're just describing, a little you know kit with some stuff in it. And he saw how much joy it brought to her, and it you know, and I had one of those too, and it brought joy to me. And so what he did is he went out and got bags and donations of stuff and here he is 15 years old and he's created so this whole cool. program and then breast friends became one of his um one of our one of his recipients yeah. so he would bring us all these bags and we have those now to give to cancer patients when they come into our office mm-hmm. and it is it's such a wonderful um 
touching thing to do for somebody. So yeah, just, you know, and then maybe go with them to one of their chemo appointments and sit and visit with them. But understand that sometimes they give you Benadryl during your chemo. So you get kind of sleepy. Nappy, nappy. (laughs) Yeah, which is kind of awesome. So um, um, yeah, so those those are just some fun things. And, And then I have another one on here that some people did with me. Schedule a date to come by, like, you know, how your friend gave you that stack of DVDs. Uh-huh. Come by and come by with those DVDs, perhaps, and then stay and visit and watch one of them yeah. together. So you're spending time, spending time, you know, cuddle up on the couch and you're watching this together. Maybe have some popcorn if you're if you can allow it, you know. So you I had a friend. I had a friend come. Um, I'm a I'm a gardener, and you know, just the simple act of going out into my garden got to be almost overwhelming. And then I would go out and I would look, and I would see all the deadheading that needed to be done, and I'd see the <laughs> weeds that needed to be pulled. And you know, just bending over to do that was exhausting. Yeah. And one of my very dearest friends, who also loves to garden, showed up one day, and uh, you know, she kind of looked around and she goes, "Would you like me to come over and help you do this?" And I just kind of looked her and said uh yeah so you know that there again it's just sometimes looking around the person's world and seeing where there's a need yeah. and just saying yeah the garden the vacuum the clean yeah. the bathroom yeah, the whatever it happens to be you know, we are we are out of time. I just looked up and realized we only have about a minute left. Oh so, gosh. so Stephanie, real quick, how can people reach your your radio show? Yours is a cooking show; it's not cancer yeah. related. But let's give out that email or however they can reach you. Yeah, you can find us at My Talk One Zero Seven One. The Weekly Dish is the radio show. They're all posted on our website, and then Stephanie's Dish is my personal website. And the radio shows and podcasts that I do, as well as recipes, are posted there. Awesome. Well, you have been a great guest. Oh, Thank thanks. you so much and great conversation. And, yeah. and we just really appreciate that. So, you know, before we do run out of time, I, I want to let our listeners know, you know, Breast Friends is a nonprofit. We provide all of our services. They're all available free. We do have a couple things that are on that we provide scholarships for. But if you really like this radio show, and this is one of the things that we do um, on a regular basis, and it costs us money. Yeah. <laughs> and since we don't sell widgets to help pay for it, yeah. we rely on donations. So if you have not made a donation to Breast Friends, we would love it if you would because it supports our radio show. So we encourage our listeners, go to breastfriends.org. There's a big blue button at the top of the of the homepage. Click that button and make a donation, please. And if you, this is the last show of 2016. So if you did it today or actually by tomorrow night at midnight, you can actually get a year-end tax de- deduction for it. We are a 501c3. So we do have to go now. We will be back next year, which is next Friday. And until then, remember, there is always hope, and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.